this is the on the radar show with your host radar as he highlights the sports topic of the week and while also diving into pop culture Radar with me, your host Radar, coming to you with episode number 18. As always, we talk about national and local sports and pop culture. And football is the sport that everybody talks about. Yes, it ends in February, but we got the combine, we got when free agency start, all the reporting dates, and they try to make it a 24-7, 365-day sport. And just because my team isn't good, the hometown team didn't do well this season. doesn't mean that I don't like football and I care about it. But there's a reason why there's football season, basketball season, hockey season, and baseball season. They come at different times of the year. So, oh my God, I got to go start watching XFL football or arena football. Ooh. The one thing that's interesting about this free agency is there's a huge amount of free agent quarterbacks. Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Mill, Case Keaton, Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, James Winston, and Blake Bortles, and Blaine Gabbard, of guys who have all been starters in this league before. Except for in Taysom Hill's point, he's just more of a gadget guy. Now, there's some teams that need quarterbacks and some don't. There's going to be this whole musical chair where, wow, there's going to be, you know, places where somebody's going to be kicked out of their starting job. Like, for example, if you go all the way to the Colts, they got Jacoby Brissett. You did admirably okay for the Colts when Andrew Luck announced his retirement and surprised everybody. Now, there are rumors that Phillip Rivers can go there. Well, that would just bump out Jacoby Brissett, who's been an okay starter. And the question would be, is he going to be your backup for all the money you paid? Or will they look to trade him to a team that needs a quarterback? You got the Jaguars who don't know, do they want to keep Nick Foles because they're paying him all that money? Or do they want to go with Gardner Minshew? And the Titans, both their quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota, are all free agents. The question is, do they want to keep Ryan Tannehill? Do they want to keep Marcus Mariota, even though they benched him and went with Tannehill? There's a lot of options for them to choose from. And they clearly are the one team that has nobody. they got to make a decision. Now, the Bengals, they don't have a quarterback because Andy Dalton's also going to be available as well. If he's not either officially a free agent or he's a trade candidate, but they're drafting a quarterback. They're going Joe Burrow. They're not looking for a veteran quarterback right now. The Chargers, they said goodbye to Phillip River. So they're in the market for a free agent quarterback out of the ones I mentioned or trade candidates like Carr and Dalton or they can just go in the draft way that they want to draft. And then you got the Raiders. Who are they going to trade Derek Carr if they sign Tom Brady? Are they going to keep Derek Carr? So they don't know what they're doing. Carr could move somewhere else if they get somebody. The Broncos still have Joe Flacco and, and Locke on their team. So I don't think they're going to draft a quarterback, but they're in flux of who their quarterback's going to be. Then you got Miami, who they're definitely drafting. They were tanking this past season. They're going to draft somebody. Yeah, they don't have the number one pick, but they got a top five pick. So they're definitely a team that's going to draft like the Bengals. And then you got yourself, the Patriots, who if Tom Brady leaves. Who do they replace him with? Do they replace him with Philip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill? Like, what would they do? Andy Dalton? That's the questions there. And then you get to the Panthers. Who they, is Cam Newton healthy? Are they going to keep Cam Newton? What are they going to do? 
or if he is healthier, they're gonna trade him. They could always draft and start over, or sign somebody else because they didn't have they had a bad season. I don't think they're close to the playoff. Then you get yourself to the Buccaneers, who Winston, you can keep him, or you can let him go. It's up to you. Do you think you couldn't get the most out of him after you got LASIK eye surgery, or do you're not gonna get enough out of him and you just say, eh, it's time to move on. We'll pick somebody else because they got a good receiving core, so it doesn't really matter at the end of the day who's the quarterback. It's all about their defense on that team, how they're going to play. And then you get yourself to, there's, it's funny, there's one division where every quarterback is settled. Four Niners are settled, the Seahawks are settled, the Cardinals and the Rams are all settled. Usually it's not a clean sweep. Then you get to the Giants division. They, they have their quarterback. Philadelphia has Carson Wentz. Washington just drafted Haskins Jr., but Dan Schneider is crazy. You never know what he's going to do. He could draft another quarterback with one of his, with his pick, or he can always, you know, Sign somebody else, because I don't think Alex Smith is ever going to come back healthy. And Dallas, they're a big domino. If they don't resign Dak Prescott, do they want to waste the prime of their offensive line and then keep Amari Cooper and have this good offensive team and draft another quarterback? Because Dak Prescott was a bargain being a third or fourth round pick. He wasn't making that much money. They have no idea what they're going to do. And the Bears, there are rumors they could trade for Derek Carr. They could sign... Marcus Mariota, they can sign Teddy Bridgewater, they can sign, they can get Andy Dalton somehow. It's like, do they really want to do that? Like, much of an upgrade can you get over, over Mary, over Tabritsky if you're going to get somebody who's either old or washed up or nobody wants them? The Lions, the rumors they want to trade Matthew Stafford. If it weren't for Matthew Stafford, you would not be respectable because you saw what happened last year when Mark when uh, Stafford wasn't playing. They just couldn't buy a game. They couldn't win whatsoever. So if you trade him and you decide you're going to get some draft capital for him, you're going to start over with a new quarterback and just going to be horrible for the for eternity. Yeah, I think you just hold on to Matthew Stafford as long as you can. It doesn't mean you can't draft a quarterback. Draft him in like the fourth, fifth, or sixth round. Don't you know waste the first, second round pick on the quarterback when you can totally just keep it going with Matthew Stafford. So yeah, there's a musical chairs, and with the with officially the Titans, the Chargers having two official openings on the team, and the Bears, the Cowboys, yeah, the, the Buccaneers and the and the Tech and the Titans and the Chargers. There's three openings, so there's three official openings, 100. percent Then there's a question on it: what the Bears. Washington and Dallas are going to do. There's a question what the Panthers are going to do. What do the Patriots do? And, of course, what do Broncos and the Raiders do? And what do the Colts and Jacks do? Because I said if Rivers goes to Indianapolis, he bumps somebody off. Teddy Bridgewater comes to Chicago, that bumps out their starting quarterback. If Ryan Tannehill goes somewhere, that bumps their out. So they would Winston if he goes somewhere else. And if Brady and Dak Prescott don't return to their teams, they're bumping out somebody else. It's going to be this thing of musical chairs because not every team is going to want to sign a free agent because we all know that Cincinnati and Miami, they're going to draft a quarterback, and you don't know. Maybe Washington is dumb enough to draft another quarterback to back-to-back years because the Cardinals just did that. The Buccaneers could draft a quarterback with their first or second-round pick, and the Raiders could do that as well. That's the sort of thing. So, you know, and... Chargers could draft a quarterback as well. So, like, three or four teams could just say, yeah, we're going to draft the first second-round draft pick as a quarterback, and we'll see where that goes. Instead of it being 
signing a free agent. So if, if three or four teams decide to draft a quarterback or they trade for Andy Dalton or they trade for Derek Carr and they don't sign a free agent, where are all these free agents going to go? Drew Brees is off the market. He decided to stick with the Saints. So that leaves at least eight eight to, eight to ten quarterbacks that could technically go from one team to another through trade or free agency. So it's going to be a very interesting, you know, carousel of quarterbacks like how people go from one coach to another when it gets fired in their opening it's going to be a cares it's going to be more of musical chairs because somebody can take somebody's seat for somebody and that person then also you go what are you going to do with them so very interesting to see how there's at least eight quality starting quarterbacks and Taysom Hill, Bortles Gabbard and Andy Dalton and Derek Carr that you can acquire through trade as well that's an interesting thing so that's how it is with football. Like everybody's gonna wonder where it goes, and I think Tom Brady and Dak Prescott are the first two dominoes. If Tom Brady stays in New England and Dak Prescott stays in Dallas, then we are gonna. Then we all know Rivers, Bridgewater, Mariota, Tannehill, Winston, and Andy Dalton and Case Keenum, whoever needs them, or Derek Carr. We'll see where they go eventually. But those two guys, Dak Prescott's the best quarterback now because he's young, in his prime. Brady's just the best overall of all time. So. It's really your preference of what you want to do. Now, with Major League Baseball, the moves have been in, there hasn't been that many moves. The Rockies brought Daniel Bard out of retirement. He had been working as a coach for the Diamondbacks for a couple seasons. I don't know if he worked exactly last year, what happened, but I got to figure out where I put his card because, you know, when somebody's retired, they're no longer active. So I have a separate place for them. And I also, if they're a coach, I put them on the team. But I don't know where I put the pile of former players who coached and managed. And then the Padres signed Brian Dozier to a minor league deal. They traded for Jerks and Profar, and they got a couple you know, guys left over. Now, he's one of the last few free agents left who could be everyday starters on a specific team. They got a bargain if they're signing Dozier to a minor league deal. He has one gold glove on his career. He probably has a couple silver sluggers. He said 40 home runs in a season. I don't expect them to do that. 20 home runs, average defense second base. And that lineup that already is Manny Machado, Tatis Jr., Eric Hosmer, Will Myers, and they now have Tommy Pham instead of Hunter Renfro. But still, that's not a bad lineup. So that's interesting. The only other major free agent out there, position player-wise, Russell Martin and Yasiel Puig. And Mookie Cabrera doesn't jump out as amazing. The Mariners signed Reimer later down to my league deal. Because again, they have no idea what their outfit's going to look like. And... The Blue Jays brought back Mark Kravchinsky, who played for them before, to my deal, and I said their bullpen's wide open of who's going to be in the bullpen. And then Ronnie Chisinau, who got hurt and didn't play the whole entire season for the Pirates, decided to call it quits because he can't stay healthy. He hasn't been healthy the past couple of years. That's his career. Inconsistent third baseman, inconsistent outfielder, and then injury-prone outfielder as well. And then, in the White Sox news, they signed... Yorga Garcia to an extension of void arbitration for another year, and then Bum Aaron Bummer signed a five-year, $60 million deal with two options, to buy out all their arbitration years and stuff, and I'm, like, I'm all for it. If Aaron Bummer can consistently be a good left-handed reliever for the next five years, Sox don't have to worry about that aspect of the bullpen, but he was horrible the multiple seasons before his turnaround, and I don't know, relievers are a thing where, you know, they're like kickers. You never know every year if they're going to be good, so I don't really know, and for all five years, Bummer's going to be great. And for the Yankees, they they couldn't catch a break. James Paxson's going to miss some time. And now Luis Severino, who missed most of the season last year and only pitched towards the 
the last month or so and in the playoffs, he is out for the year because he's going to have to get Tommy John surgery as well. And that is not good for the Yankees because they spent all that money on Garrett Cole. They're, all, they're still paying Tanaka all that money. And Sabathia retired, so it's like, okay. So you, good thing you held on to J.A. Happ. But if your rotation is Garrett Cole and J.A. Happ, for the most part, uh, and Tanaka, I'm not really scared of that uh, rotation. Now, the problem with Major League Baseball that I noticed is there's a leadoff hitter thing. Because I only noticed it really when I've been doing this ultimate 25 minute roster for every single baseball team, where I take the best player at each position through their history, and it has to be a good amount of years and accolades that prove the point. But, the, but what I'm getting at is leadoff hitters. For instance, like if you look at the all time greatest team for the Mets that just, just finished, you have middle of the order hitters David Wright, Keith Hernandez, and Mike Piazza. Cleon Jones, Daryl Strawberry, Carlos Beltran, and Ed Crampel. And what all of those guys have in common is they all, if you look at the box scores from the past, they all batted between three and six or seventh in the lineup. So you say to yourself, who is a leadoff hitter? None of them are. But Harrelson always batted towards the bottom of the lineup. And, for example, Edgardo Alfonso batted second, third, or fifth, whatever in the lineup. So for that specific team, I'm like, wait. I got to figure out who can bat leadoff because it wasn't easy like the Colorado Rockies or the Expos where Juan Pierre and Tim Raines are obvious. You know, it's not that – and the Marlins too with Juan Pierre. It's not obvious for every team. Giants, George Davis, they had to do research on that. Braves, Rabbit, Mar- Rabbit Marineville, you got to figure that out as well. And if you look at the Dodgers – it worked out that Jackie Robinson, even though you would think he was a leadoff hitter, he batted in the middle of the lineup. But Pee Wee Reese batted leadoff, so it works out fine for the Dodgers and the Giants and those teams. But like the Diamondbacks and the Padres are, and those those teams, like the Mets, I had to figure it out. Same thing with all these other teams. You can't figure it out. And that brings up to a question that's happening in Major League Baseball. Nobody Stolen bases are downs. People are not taking as many walks. They're okay with striking out, and people's on-base percentages are going down. The whole point is to get on base, is to get into scoring position, is to drive and run. It's not all about just hitting home runs, but that's what baseball has become. Livelier ball, everybody's throwing like 100 miles per hour, so when you hit the ball, it's going to go far. Just for example, the Boston Red Sox just traded Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts, you would have thought, was a middle-of-the-order hitter, but for most of his time there, they batted him leadoff because he was so good there. But the thing a guy like Mookie Betts, a guy like George Springer, and Dexter Fowler in his prime is, yeah, they would hit 20, 30, maybe 40 home runs out of, you know, out of the specific time leading off an inning as a leadoff hitter. But they also stole a good amount of bases. Their on-base percentage was great. They took a lot of walks, that sort of thing. And that is the type of thing that is lost. Those are examples of guys who are boppers. They just hit home runs. But look at the Royals. The Royals have such a speedy guy in Mundeside Jr., and they got Will Merrifield, who just makes a lot of contact. So Will Merrifield has been doing the job as leadoff hitter, but they don't have a clear-cut guy because Mundeside had to look first figure out on the big leagues. The White Sox have been, were lucky enough that because of the rebuild they've been going through, that Leora Garcia got all this playing time, they realized he's good enough consistently to be in the leadoff spot. So the Sox have had that. that. The Cubs, though, they have not figured out their leadoff problem because once Dexter Fowler left them, they've tried Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber. Now they're going to try Chris Bryant, and they even tried Jason Hayward in the leadoff spot. 
And if you're going to pick any of your sluggers, I'd go Bias because he gets on base more than anybody else that can steal bases and take the extra base. That's the sort of person I'd want to lead off spot. The problem is, if you're going to go by speed or contact ability, Ian Happ and Albert Amora would be the guys, but they barely played them last year. So that's the problem. Not everybody has a leadoff hitter. And I thought, okay, Joe Madden's gone. The Cubs are not going to have some weird leadoff thing where Chris Bryant is leading off. That's the thing. So it's a problem in baseball. If you just look at any team, the Tigers, the Indians, I said the Royals, and the Twins, and then you got yourself now the new Red Sox problem, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, and even the Rays. Like, figuring out who's the, the leadoff hitter. Texas, they have to figure it out. Same does, so does Oakland, which is why Marcus Simeon, who usually batted at the bottom of the order, was batting leadoff last year. Astros, I said they got the Springer thing, but that was not the best situation for them. You want them driving in all those runs, which is what he does. And then you look at the Mariners and the Angels. They don't have great leadoff hitters. The Reds, not really. And then the Pirates, not really. And then you get yourself to the Cardinals and the Brewers. The Brewers got Lorenzo Cain. That's perfect. The Cardinals have Dexter Fowler, but there were a lot of times they weren't batting him lead off. And the Mets, because a guy like Brandon Nimmo and a guy like Jeff Neal to get on base a lot, they got multiple options there. The Braves, the best options are Ender Yarte, but they've been batting Kunas leading off, which is silly. The Phillies have bad Andrew McCutcheon lead off because they didn't really have a leadoff hitter. But they, have Gene, they had Gene Segura on their team last year, and they also had Cesar Hernandez and Utubal Herrera. Now they got Gene Segura and Didi Gregorius. There's no explanation of why one of those guys shouldn't bat at the top of the lineup. Nationals have Adam Eden and Trey Turner. They're set there. They got two guys. The Marlins, they're not going anywhere, so it doesn't really matter what they do. The Dodgers, now that they have Mookie Betts, they got multiple possibilities in the leadoff spot. And the Giants... They haven't figured out what their outfield is, and I'm not betting Brandon Crawford leadoff, so they don't know. And then you get yourself to the you get yourself to the Padres where Tatis is let off because their outfielders haven't done anything to show they can lead off. And the Diamondbacks can tell Marte can lead off, but he's he's a great all-around hitter. You can bat him second. And then you get yourself to the 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 current Colorado Rockies where Charlie Blackman, that's perfect. He's the guy there that would be really good that teams wish they had Charlie Blackman in the leadoff spot because, as I said, the Diamondbacks and the Giants and the Padres and the Dodgers, the Padres don't have a really good thing. That's the issue in baseball is they don't have leadoff hitters. Now, last week I didn't get to pop culture, and I do want to talk about pop culture. So I finally got to the finale of The Good Place and the episode before it. So spoiler alert that they had a, well, they had a gala based on their personalities, and then all merged together because it's supposed to be for one person. They nerd out over the famous people that could be in there. The good place architect, Michael, becomes in charge of the whole thing because the angels just leave. You know, that's weird. There's a lot of Jacksonville-related stuff in there. They have this thing called the green door where you can go to any place, any time. I thought that was cool. You could visit anywhere, anytime. That's a really cool thing. And Lisa Kudrow stars in there, and then you f- and she tries to tell him that Everybody just turns into mush, and their brains turn into mush, and they're not smart anymore. So, again, they always got to be going and figuring out a problem. So I thought that was interesting. And then they made it a way just, if you want to just end it, you end it. You know, you have that option in your brain. And then Chidi and Mike run the council with the annoying woman and the judge, who's played by Maya Rudolph, and Sean from The Bad Place. They're meeting every week on how to make the new system work. So that was cool. And, of course, Jason's Vegas thing was perfect score for Madden with the Jaguars with his father and his friend and then they had he brought his dance pack 
Sheen with him and he's DJing and he got to live it out the way he wanted to live it out, which was sad. And then, you know, they were living in a restaurant, which was interesting. Chidi and then, uh, you know, Tahani wanted to finish everything on the list that she wanted to be like, I know how to do everything. So they had a Nick Offerman, you know, special appearance on there, Mr. You know, woodworker, teaching her how to woodwork. Her parents and her sister joined her. And then she said, you know, I'm done, but I don't want to go to the place that ends we die. So Michael makes her an architect, which is pretty cool because she doesn't, quote, unquote, go die, you know. And then, you know, Eleanor's hanging out with her friends. They somehow made it to the good place. I highly doubt that. Chidi's friends, that makes sense. And then Chidi says it's time. Chidi feels like you could tell that he wanted to leave, and Eleanor doesn't want to leave. That's the love of her life. She does everything possible to take him to places, convince him to stay. And then he, he convinces her to stay so she's not all alone because Jason supposedly went away. Tahani became an architect, and she was all by herself. And she didn't want to be by herself. So he goes, you know what? I will stay with you. And after a while, she realized she has to let him go. And then she she tells him, leave before I wake up. It was very sad that, you know, he left and left her calendar and stuff. And then it's confusing. Did Jason really go with Chidi at the end? Because he was looking for that thing he made for it. You know, Janet, which was adorable that you had to do that for her, give her the necklace. Then Michael realizes he doesn't have a purpose because there's no counsel, there's nothing to do. He becomes a human. And then Eleanor tra- convinces Mindy from the, Mindy St. Clair from the medium place to, to join the good place. And she thinks, like, you know, it's time for her to go. And then she decides she's ready to end it. And then Mike tries to, you know, Michael tries to end it, but then he finally gets his wish. He becomes a human. He gets to live on Earth. It's a very interesting thing because I said I'm not sure did Jason Chidi really do it or not. And it's funny that Michael named his dog Jason. His real-life wife, Mary Steenburgen, was his guitar teacher in there, you know. And it just ends. Eleanor walks through, and a little, little like, glowy thing does it, and it's like, okay, that's it. That's the end. Her essence goes into some ginger nerd guy, you know, delivering the uh, wrong mail to Michael. So I will say this. I'm glad that Michael Sheridan goes like, you know, about a dozen episodes or 13 episodes per season. That's great. That is what, you know, I can limited release amount of episodes. That's good because then he knows there's a shelf life on it. It's not a sitcom that goes on and on and on for like 10, 15 years, whatever. It's too much. And then he decided to end it as well after, you know, three or four seasons. It's not like... Yeah, let's have it on for a bunch of seasons as well. So I can commend Michael Shore on not making the show 22 episodes a year. And so you could then figure out, oh, my God, I'm getting tired of this. There's not a lot to write. And making four seasons means you can just tell, tell your story. Because I'm glad that they ended it. Because too many times a good show just gets canceled. And there's no finale or no ending, no conclusion to figure out how it doesn't end. It just ends because it's a cliffhanger or just ends and it's just not great. So I just want to say thank you, Michael Shore, for that, to at least having an ending, even if it wasn't the greatest ending in the world. I'm just glad you did that because it's a great show. I really like the idea. You, ch- you chase the concept up multiple times throughout season one, two, and three, so commend you on that. Now, I also want to talk about the fact that I watched three new shows, and my opinion is that all three of these new shows, I wouldn't renew any one of these shows. Katie Keene on CW and Tommy on CBS and Indebted on NBC. Katie Keene, small-time character in the Archie comics, who you could say, because she was friends with Veronica and Josie from the Pussycats, is in this show. 
that it's a real direct spinoff of the Archie comics world and not let's take Sabrina from the Archie comic book and Nancy Drew, make them all about solving mysteries or making them all dark and a little bit, you know, sad and depressing like Morbid because Riverdale is supposed to be high school kids having fun. They're solving murder mysteries and conspiracy. People are dying right and left in the show. So, and sometimes the mood of Riverdale is a little sad, you know. But it also very, tries to make it very serious, too. Same thing with Nancy Drew. It's sad, serious, like, all that stuff. I haven't watched Sabrina on Netflix, but it's a, the, the tone is the same thing. And, of course, CW has been happily renewing every show. Before the season started, you know, they gave the show 13 additional episodes before the season started. So that is a signal that they want to renew said show. Because you don't just get... The season hasn't started yet, but we're going to give you 13. Usually when you get additional episodes, it's been on for 10, 11, 12 episodes. But yeah, so with the additional episodes before the season, the fact that they're hap happily just renewing every show, they're renewal happy, and the fact that they're trying to create this Archieverse, because you have the Arrowverse, and the one is on Netflix, and there's only two, they're like, yes, yes, yes. We want to continue to make shows. Now, the thing I like about the show is very upbeat. Yes, you know, they have their usual young adult teen problems and whatnot, but, and it's because they're adults, there's real problems on high school drama, them trying to get jobs and figure out where they are in the world, that's important. But it's partying, them being happy, they're smiling, it's a much more upbeat, livelier time than Riverdale. So that's, those are the negative, this is the positive. And if you like Art Riverdale and you watch Nancy Drew, but you're kind of not a big fan of the LGBT community parading it all over the place, then this may not be your show because Katie Keene and, and Josie's roommate is a gay guy who wants to make it on Broadway, but he's also a, a drag queen. Now, if you don't want to see them going to drag queen bars and all that gay makeout scene and stuff, then you don't have to do that. Yes, it's appeared in Riverdale, you know, both lesbian and gay in the show, but, you know, it's not the only thing because there's so many characters. This show, that's like four characters. And if you're not a big deal, there's the British woman, she's bisexual, whatever, you know, it's not your deal, then I wouldn't suggest watching it. But if you watch Riverdale and Nancy Drew and you don't care about the LGBT stuff and you watch because it's a Riverdale spinoff and it's an Archie world, enjoy it. Speaking of the LGBT community, I don't understand how you assume just because a woman is single, keeps to herself, and is a cop, she's automatically lesbian. So that's the problem with Tommy. They make her a divorced woman who had a child. They got divorced. They separated. And the daughter moved with the husband, the ex-husband, all the way to Los Angeles. And she's a this New York cop. And they give all of her accolades, like youngest to do this, youngest to do that, quickest to do this, own police force, take the test, caption test, all these things. That's what it should be about, how amazing of a police officer she was in New York and how she got this job to be a woman. Yes, they got it because the mayor, the deputy mayor, had to find somebody after a scandal with underage girls, all these other things, whatever. She got the job, she deserves it, whatnot. But this girl, to make it stereotypical that she's lesbian and that, you know, she was an older woman, so she didn't figure out when she was younger. And it's also too on the nose that she goes to L.A., the place that her estranged da daughter lives, is married, has a kid, and her ex-husband's there, and they're going to be part of the show. It's like, that's too much. And they also decided to just make it very uh, PC. So we've got, we've got the LGBT community happy because she's a lesbian. We're going to make the African-American community happy because there's black people in the show. But also in terms of her husband is, her ex-husband is black, so their daughter's biracial. So it's very important that the daughter's biracial, she's lesbian. They get all these things. I just wanted to watch a cop show where because Edie Falco is such a great actress in every show and movie she did, I just wanted her to be in a cop show where I could watch it every day because a lot of her shows have been like HBO Showtime. I haven't been able to watch it and get into them. I wanted to get into a cop show with her where 
it seems like there's more of a political drama than it is a procedural cop show some of the time. It's very typical. They got her, somebody that works for her. It's just like straight, you know, tell me how it is. You know, don't bullcrap me. You know, tell me I'm out of line. Like, black guy would just like, he says it how it is, and, you know, you, you value his opinion. That's great. But then they have the tech guy who's Asian. Like, why do you got to assume that the tech guy is be Asian and the guy who just tells it like it is is black? And all these things. The other thing I noticed was, first episode, a police chief woman who her ex-husband's black with a biracial daughter, and the first episode takes in a little girl. Yes, in this one, it's only for like a one episode until they can get reunited with their mother, but in a show emergence, yes, Long Island, a small part of Long Island, a female chief's not a big deal because it's a small area, but it's the same premise. Little girl, biracial child, ex-husband who's black, who's in the show as well. It's like they copy that a little, the stencil of how they're going to arrange the show. So copying that, making it all about her being LGBT, the daughter and all these things, and the husband being a part of it, it just, and it seems way too of a political drama to be cop show and the people that watch cbs they watch all three ncis shows that's been on the air for years they got their spinoff fbi if you watch dick wolf on nbc with law and order and the chicago shows they follow a similar formula formula blue bloods follows a similar formula that's on the air for years and macgyver magnum pi and a y5o follow similar formula you know their remakes and if you're somebody who's old older in the middle age class and you watch those other shows i don't know if you're going to watch remakes of shows you already watch but the point is they all figure out a similar procedural window and this show seems a little bit too progressive a little bit trying too hard a little too on the nose for so many things that the audience that does watch it those shows religiously like all those shows they're not going to watch it and i don't think the ratings are going to do it so well because thursday nights are law and order svu at the same time and the abc has got their thank god it's thursday block thursday night so i don't really know how cbs is doing in that block where they show half hour sitcoms and then one hour same thing with NBC showing half hour and then one hour and then CW and Fox only have two hours. But in the nine o'clock slot, I don't really know how it's going to do. It doesn't fit with the formula. So I don't think that's going to be renewed. Katie Keene, I predict it's going to be renewed because it's going to be. That's just how it is. The other show, Indebted. It's nice that a Fred Drescher is back on television, on broadcast television, because he liked her on The Nanny. She's playing a Jewish woman and they're in Connecticut and the family's Jewish. And this other guy, the, the husband is a famous actor as well. And Anna Pally who was on the show Making History. And I thought that was a clever comedy sci-fi show. That got canceled after one year. And he's been in movies and TV shows as well. Yeah, Steven Weber, he plays the husband. And he plays a good, you know, boomer who's clueless when it comes to technology. And, of course, people know him from Wings and things like that. So they, they, it's a good cast. Abby Elliott, former SNLer, it's in her family blood. But the laugh track's annoying. When I laugh, it's nothing to do with the laugh track. It's different times. They make it so that, you know, they purposely said it that the sister is lesbian. She's single. She's got all these problems. Instead of the parents moving in, they move in with them, and they have two children. It's about raising the children at the same time as dealing with the parents who basically gone broke. They have all the money, and, they're, and they just sell the house. They're renovating, so they got to live there. And the daughter of Anna Pally in the show is in there briefly episode one. She disappears. The rest of the episode she doesn't appear in episode two or three. And when they bring up issues with the kids in the second and third episode, the boy... It's barely there. It gets pushed to the side, and it's all about the parents. And the point was balancing between parenting the parents and the kids at the same time. And it's not following the premise. The laugh track's annoying. They're zooming in on, like, uh, Fran Dresser's cleavage. I don't need to see that. If you're going to show cleavage, show the younger woman, you know, Abby Elliott. But they don't do that. In the first episode, I hate to spoil it, 
But every episode is something the parents do that they screw up and they, Adam Pally and Abiella got to fix it every week. They got to prevent all these issues. Is that they were filming a, a GoFundMe video for Facebook, at, you know, fundraiser, and they got Abby Elliott's character naked in the thing. So decide to have that as a premise on a show in the first episode is inappropriate and it's just stupid. So that inappropriateness, the cleavage, the laugh tracks being annoying, the writing seems horrible and forced and the throwing it in you, the daughter's lesbian, like, doesn't have to be a thing. There doesn't have to be a token gay person in every show as well. I'm all for inclusive work, like having Black Lightning's daughter's lesbian, Blast Sarah on, on Legends is bisexual. They make, you know, Cheryl bisexual. And they have the Kevin, the gay character. That's totally fine. But it's just, in, it's like, her, the sister anyway, her character, her plots are boring and useless and it takes away from the episodes. So, I'm sorry to Fran Dresser, who I like when I was younger watching The Nanny, and Adam Pally, I'm a huge fan of as a Jewish person. I like their acting and the premise of a Jewish family. But everything about the show, the only positive thing is, is liking the actors, Stephen Weber, Abby Elliott, and liking Adam Pally, and of course, Fran Dresser, and you want to see the show do well, but it's got so many negatives that I don't think it's going to be renewed, because the last show NBC debuted, that show with Cal Penn, Sunnyside, whatever it was called, got removed after three episodes. Last year, I Feel Bad, this show that Amy Poehler wrote, that starred Soraya Blue, that lasted like six, seven episodes, got pulled from the air. So it's the back-to-back premieres, a half-hour sitcom, getting pulled between three to seven episodes, so I don't trust the pattern, and the show's not that great, and that even though Will and Grace revival is ending, it shouldn't have come back in the first place, and the good place just ended, and there's an opening for for the calendar year to renew a show, but it's not going to be this, so I'm sorry to say indebted, I predict you're getting canceled, Tommy, you're getting canceled, and Katie Keene, I would cancel you, but you have some positives, and you got the 13-episode additional episodes before the season started and CW just renews everything, even junk. This and this show is way better than junk. Katie Keene is a watchable show. There's just some there's negatives and there's positives about it. But it's gonna be renewed. So yeah, Katie Keene gonna definitely be renewed. Tommy and Indebted, you're gonna be canceled. Baseball has a problem with leadoff hitters as well. And it's gonna be interesting to see which quarterback lands where and who bumps one out in the musical chair. And I just want to say thank you, Michael Schur, for creating the good place, Christian Bell, Tim Danson, and the rest of the cats. It will always be one of my favorite shows, and I'm very appreciative that you made this show, Michael Schur, because I do watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I do watch, and I did watch Parks and Rec. I didn't watch The Office, but thank you very much. Thank you listening to On the Radar, episode 18. See you next time. Bye. This was the On The Radar show with Radar. For more from him, check out his Facebook page, On The Radar Entertainment blog. His long-form articles are radar4428.blogspot.com. His YouTube account, On The Radar. Follow him on the Twitter at Radar4428 and download his podcasts from Apple Podcasts under On The Radar.